so, Lord. Your grace amazes us. The cross amazes us. And now we wait to be amazed this morning by your word to us. Amen. Thank you. Beautiful song, as always. Beautiful message to us. That was a big prayer. Wait to be amazed. Thank you. Oh, by the word. Oh, by the word, yes. Well, we should be, really. We should be amazed by the word. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely. Now, you've got an image up there. I didn't know whether to put it up, because I think I wondered if some of you might feel a bit dizzy with it. But um, I found it, uh, and it's obviously uh, Regent Street. Uh, and I thought it was ideal to put up uh, a picture of a fast-paced city. Uh, when I'm going to talk about the importance of being an equipped church in a fast-paced city. Um, and, and it fits beautifully with both the dedication of the cross and the dedication of our new um, band master and deputy. Uh, and so this is very special. Because Ephesians 4 talks about being an equipped church. Uh, what it means is that every individual has to really desire to become spiritually mature and spiritually holy. Every one of us using our own God-given personality, our individuality, our giftedness right where we are. Building up this church, yes, building up our community like a well-cared-for, nourished, connected body within and without. Now, historically in the temples, you look in the Old Testament, you see that the priests did everything. They made every decision. They performed every leadership role. Their role was mainly ceremonial, but with a mandate to give their listeners a good telling off in the name of the Lord. And that's what they did. The priest's relationship with the temple congregation was hierarchical. The priest was all-wise, even if he wasn't, he was. Even if he wasn't. And it was a he, it was never a she. And his hearers stuck to the law and behaved as they were told. Now, of course, you come into the New Testament and we see that Jesus and then after him the writers uh, put a whole different emphasis on things. And Paul's emphasis in Ephesians chapter 4 is like this. That's his verses 11 to 13. But you can, it's, it's not the greatest PowerPoint, but it's, um, it, it's an idea. It talks about the fullness of Christ. And then it goes around there clockwise. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, those who are giftedness. We prepare for works of service. We are built up into unity and maturity. We come into the full. It's a never-ending circle, basically. It goes around and around. Now, Ephesus at the time, I've told you this before, I think, entertained pagan and cultic worship. It was a little church, and they were being tempted into different behaviors. And Paul says, God will equip each one of you for service in the face of your community. Ephesians 4.1, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God, forgiven and given a whole new kind of life in fellowship with him. It's about everyone, and that's kind of the theme of the sermon. Four points coming up uh, on the theme of everyone. Firstly, everyone is called by grace. In verses 7 to 9, our passage talks about the giver of the gifts, 
and it wants to make sure that we understand two things about Jesus. One is that he fills the whole universe. The resurrected Lord who fills the whole universe has given to us that amazing grace that the songsters have just sung about. Gifted us. Poured his grace into us. And we don't deserve it. That's one of the, the, the definitions of grace. Unmerited. That's why it's called purely a gift. That's why it's called grace. But not only does the giver fill the universe, secondly, he is also the giver who descended to earth. Paul says, Christ descended to the lower earthly region. He came and lived among us. He left the perfection of heaven and came to dwell in the sinfulness of this world. And Paul says that we are all interconnected and all possessed by the same Holy Spirit. We are all called to the same future and we are all part of God's same mission in this world together. That is, here at Regent Hall but also in all true Christian churches around the world. We are one body in today's world. One body. And more than ever, we cannot be isolationist. We must work together, not only with other core, not only with our Salvation Army colleagues and friends, but life is too short to be isolationist. We have to work with other churches and our community as well. I was really blessed to have a morning uh, this past week. I, I went down and met the minister at St. Martin's in the Field Church, talking about how we can work more closely together, what we can learn from them, what we can give to one another. And uh, it, it's a blessed time if we can do that. And it means that the capacity to cultivate good relationships and hold to that unity is an essential component of what it means to be Christian. In verse 7, Paul says, To each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So we are a body. We're all comprised of parts that are very different from one another. And each one of these parts has an essential role of grace in the body. Your hand cannot see your eyes cannot play the piano. Second point, everybody is included. Everybody is included. That's what this cross stands for. You know the message that when one part fails, life limps along. For the body to grow in spiritual health, it means that you need more than just an officer or a minister or a preacher or a teacher of the law and a few other leaders doing ministry. Here's a question. After the governments and church, which organization is one of the biggest landowners in the world, would you say? Which organization is one of the biggest landowners? Any idea? Talk to the person next to you for a minute. 20 seconds. Biggest landowner. Okay, here we go. Any suggestions? I, after the church and after governments? Duke of Westminster. I'm thinking more worldwide, but you, you may be right. I'll tell you, it's McDonald's. It is. 
Whatever you think about McDonald's, however plastic you think their chips are, whatever you think about them, they're the biggest landowner. Because their biggest philosophy in their management program is that everybody has a role to play. And they, value, they try to value everybody exactly the same. That may not be your experience when you go to McDonald's down the road, but that's what they say. Everybody has a role, and they make sure that every till is occupied and somebody is serving and that customers are not waiting any longer than they need to. And the whole reason it works is that everybody is inducted and they give their best to the role. Every part is necessary. Likewise, every member ministry. For the word ministry, you can substitute the word service because ministries are various forms of service. Every time the word ministry appears, we can say service. And everyone who has the role of a leader here has much more than that. We have to be servant leaders. Third thought is that everyone lives by purpose. Verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, to be prophets, to be evangelists, to be pastors and teachers. That sounds like a professional Christian list. Teachers, pastors, evangelists, apostles. It says that God has given his own attributes to prepare all people, all God's people, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up mature through love. Now, some of you might say, nah, it's not me, not me, sorry, Rich, not me. You may think you have little or nothing to offer. I don't know what to do, I don't know what to say, I can't do this, that, or the other. Here's a quote from a writer called Paul Tripp. Personal ministry is not about always knowing what to say or do. It is not about fixing everything in sight that is broken. Personal ministry is about connecting people with Christ so that they are able to think as he would have them think, desire what he says is best, and do what he calls them to do, even if their circumstances never get fixed. So you might say, I may not be able to make a difference. He says, it involves exposing hurt, lost, and confused people to God's glory so that they give up their pursuit of their own glory and live for his. We can all be Jesus where we are somehow. But if you think you've got nothing to give, I tr trust me you have, and we can work through that service together. Because it's about purpose. A mature Christian needs to exercise an open mind. And Jesus pleaded for this time and again. You look at the parable in Luke 5 of the wine and the wineskins. It's all about expanding your mind. It's all about trying to do something with greater purpose. We have a cross now that speaks of purpose. This is our purpose. We are that church. It doesn't say church out in the front of Oxford Street. It does on the back entrance, but it doesn't there. But this now says, here is our purpose. And you've heard me say before that when a church is growing and decisions made, it has to be on the basis of purpose and not preference. If we're going forward on the basis of preference alone, then because we are human, there will naturally be too many agendas to consider. If we move forward with purpose, we do what the cross of Christ tells us. Many years ago, many, many years ago, we made a decision in one appointment that upset somebody who wrote me a letter. This man attended very infrequently and put forward his point of view clearly. There was no spiritual word in his argument. No, would you like to come for a coffee and conversation with me to talk about it? 
There was no recourse to Scripture, no recourse to the cross. In the course of my very polite reply, I made my point, and then I asked the following questions. Which devotional books would you be reading at the moment? Which books on church development and transition have you read that you base your assumption on? Which research into community and societal trends in this community do you base your thinking upon? And here's a question I asked him that we could all ask ourselves. What theologically do you believe our core understands about itself in relationship to the community in which it sits? Still waiting for a reply. Because everything that he offered was centered on preference and not purpose. If you go to the cross first, then write to me. That's what I would say to him. It's a little story, but it gives us a great lesson about the need for members of the body of Christ to go deeply into personal faith through prayer, Bible reading, and wider reading too. There are so many gifted people here. You are so gifted. We are blessed with you. We are blessed together. So blessed. We love learning about your interests and who you are and what you do and what you like. I love looking at your bookshelves when I come to your homes, seeing what books you have, and what DVDs you watch and all that kind of thing. But it's great to be able to do wider reading as well. It helps us understand our church and our faith. It's also about a desire to learn, reading up and being educated by people who've been on a Christian journey and written about it. There's some great stuff around. We've been so encouraged this summer with conversations with some of you, asking more about going deeper with Christ. It's been so encouraging. Sunday worship is celebratory, and we come together to share and acknowledge the work of God in Christ in our lives, in the world, and in his kingdom. But Sunday worship alone is not enough. A faith that flourishes has to be nourished. It's not 24-1, is it? It's 24-7. And it's imperative that we all engage in a process of personal discernment. In other words, sharpening up our self-understanding, our worldview, reading lovely authors like Nuon and, and Philip Yancey, simple stuff, just to, be, just to grow together. No church, no core will grow by standing still. Salvation Army statistics and all the research behind that will prove it. There is no academic book I know of, no church development book, no theological volume I've ever read that says if you want to grow as a church and if you want to grow as a mature Christian, then stay as you are. Here is some congregational participation. Please complete the sentence. If you do what you've always done, you will be... Oh, come on. If you do what you've always done, you will be where you've always been. Do you not know that one? Do you not know that one? They, they knew it. So I do apologize, I thought you'd know that one. Right, let's do it again then, now you know it. If you do what you've always done, you will be. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And it's a case of enjoying being a member of this church as well, you know, sort of really loving what you do and who you are. So grateful to Richard and Sue who've given me, have, you, have we got a minute here for this, who sent me some letters and I thought on this particular Sunday it'd be very appropriate to read some letters that Herbert Twitchin, famed bandmaster of this corps, uh, wrote to the Salvation Army in 1920. Uh, 
The band, I don't know if you've seen these, Paul, Greg, no, you probably haven't. The band, Regent Hall Band, went to Bradford, Easter 1920. And on Easter Monday morning, they played a game of football. And they were reported for doing so. Twitchin, brilliant, he's gone up in my estimation, I tell you that. He wrote to some Colonel Langdon at the divisional headquarters who had complained on behalf of these people in Bradford who'd complained that the band had played football. We gave six... I'm just reading snippets, so I can't read it all, it's too long. We gave six indoor festivals, nine open-air meetings, three Sunday meetings, six indoor festivals, and had Monday morning off for games. Surely comment is needless. God save the individual or individuals who commented. This is about on a par with an officer whom I knew some years ago, who went into a course, strolled into the band room, saw in the corner a cricket bat, and immediately threw up his hands in pious horror and said in front of the men, oh, how can God work with such implements of the devil here? <laughs> if I had been present, I would have shown him the door. Quick, as only the devil in a man would cause such a senseless remark. This officer is now out of the army. <laughs> But it is this insane mishandling of men and the blind misconstruing of athletic games into sinful pleasure that has caused so much disaster in many of the corps. The difficulties you mention in the letter are largely of our own making because of the tactless handling of men and the too literal and pharisaical constructions put on our regulations. You see, the priest did everything. I do not play football myself, but have a turn at cricket when I get a chance. And I know quite intimately several professional players and good men too. But I would as soon be found playing or watching football as doing many other things that the army permits. <laughs> playing or watching football is no worse than reading a book from a worldly author, or riding in a bus in the company of people enjoying scenery, or staying about at home, all different forms of pleasure that the army indulge in. I shudder for the mentality of the individuals who have passed censure. I wonder how many times lately they've broken the Sabbath by riding on a Sunday. Some time ago, a bandsman on a visit to Regent Hall from the north, <laughs> anxious to impress me, I suppose, said to me, ah, oh, we don't allow football in our band. And as I looked at the man, I noticed that a good wash would have done him good. <laughs> His fingernails were in mourning. <laughs> Black. It's beautiful, isn't it? And his uniform was in a disgraceful condition. A clean football rig out would have been better for him. I will not labour the point further and will only say in conclusion, it's a great pity that there are people in the army who've never grasped the moat and beam lesson in the Bible. That's the speck and the plank in the eye. And who give an utterly false belittling version to the command, come ye out from among them and be separate. Only telling others to be separate from the things that they do not indulge in or on the contrary, indulge in something worse themselves and attempt to salve their consciences by exploiting athletics as sin. Knowing the work we put in at Bradford, the spiritual and financial success of the whole series of meetings, I am disgusted at this attempt on the party of some personal persons to curry favour in this direction. Yours sincerely, Herbert Twitch. <laughs> oh, fabulous, isn't it? Absolutely fabulous. But he's kind of talking there about uh, being in the world, but being sensible, not being of it. Being together, loving the world, 
but also speaking up when we have to. And I, th I think he's great. Bless the culture that you're in, every member. You have something to get. Some of you have gone to university, uh, you know, in, in, in these last few weeks. 21st century, it's a mix, that word, of unity and diversity. People from all over the, all over the place coming together, diverse but unified, university coming together. And finally, and I finish with this, everybody desires personal growth. Verse 13 talks about being built up and becoming mature. That's what Paul wanted for this Ephesian church that lived in an almost pagan community. God's word nourishes us, and as I've said, this nourishment will become flourishment as we read and contemplate outside of this place. I reiterate that you all have a part in this, and we will discover that as these days, weeks, months go on. Many of you have different gifts and abilities, ideas and skills, all things that God can use for the betterment of this church, of this community, and of ourselves. Because if we don't use these gifts and abilities, indeed, if we do not see ourselves and all that we are as a gift, then we won't grow to maturity as we best can. And the church suffers. Don't starve Regent Hall Corps of your giftedness. Thank God for Paul and Greg uh, and for others who are going to be taking responsibilities up within the band and within other groups in these months to come. Don't starve this core of your giftedness. Don't withhold your prayers from one another or your Christian love. Jesus is our servant leader and it is through his life that we find ourselves and our ministry expression and we want to build and encourage each other in this process together. Do I hear an amen? Amen. amen. We're going to be talking so much more about this, about the importance of spiritual nourishment, the importance of small groups. You're going to be hearing about that in these weeks and months to come as well. Here's Ephesians 4, verses 14 to 16. If you can see that, would you read it with me? Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. May we do that in this community and in this world together. Amen.